Welcome to Alpha and Omega Ministries International. This ministry is committed to bringing apostolic alignment and restoration of the values and principles of the Kingdom of God to the body of Christ. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by the Word of God. Today what I'd like to do, I want to talk to you, not so much have a preach or a proclamation kind of message, but I have a message that I'm hoping will stir your heart a little bit to evaluate your your evaluation of God's love, God's love for you, your place in His heart, all those kinds of things. Um, a little while ago, we were talking about faith, and we've spoken about faith. And how, wh- what is the foundation of faith? Where does faith come from? All these kinds of things. And we know, you know, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing. We, we talk a lot about faith in this house. But I think the last, the last series I did on the subject... It really touched my heart because it wasn't so much about the mechanics of faith, but it was about the personal relationship behind our faith. Without the personal relationship, faith means nothing. It, it, it's, it's just hot air. It's presumption. Because it finds its life in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I want to talk to you a little bit about this morning about God's heart towards us. What is it that gives life and expression to our faith? What is it that makes our faith come alive? As I've said, we know where faith comes from. It's by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. We know that we express it by believing it in our hearts and confessing it with our mouths, Romans 10, 10. We know that faith is the substance of things hoped for, that it is the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews 11, 1. We know that faith without works or or, or accompanying actions is dead, James 2.20. We know that faith is a gift from God. We are saved by grace through faith, and the faith is not of ourselves. It is the gift from God. But I really believe that a revelation of God's heart towards us is what gives a meaningful context in which our faith can function. Our faith is like a seed that needs to be planted somewhere. And where you plant is really important. Anybody who understands plants knows you get plants that like the sun, you get plants that like the shade, plants that need lots of water, plants that etc., etc. Where you plant the seed of your faith is really important. And the garden in which our faith can be fertilized, can grow, can flourish and blossom is in that place of love and intimacy with God the Father. That is the only context in which faith works. You see, when we, be, when we even take the promises of God and try to confess them or work them out or make them to happen outside of relationship, we become very frustrated. I don't know about you, but I've tried that. When I first started learning about this thing called faith, they teach you the principles or the lessons of faith and how to make it work, and so you start putting them into place. And look, I've got some spiritual bruises on my chin. You can't see them. But there's a lot of scratches here where I fell on my face trying to use my faith because I I, I thought I could apply some mechanical process and get things to work. But faith outside of intimate relationship with God, without an understanding or a revelation of the heart of God, just doesn't work. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke. We're going to start there this morning. And I want to take you to an incident that happened in Jesus' ministry. Luke chapter 5 from verse 12. It tells the story of a leper who came to Jesus. I saw a cartoon once while you turned there of 
of Jesus standing and there's a, a spotty cat in front of him, a leopard. And the caption was, lepers, I heal lepers. <laughs> so there we have it. Luke 5 from verse 12 says, And it happened when he was in a certain city that, behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus. Uh, the New Living Translation says, had leprosy at an advanced stage. And he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then he, poured out his, then he put out his hand, touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. This situation, I think, defines so many of us within the church today. There are some of us who struggle with the concept of what God is able to do. Can God really do that? Is the situation, you know, God able to move a miracle? But I think most of us will assent to the fact that this God we, we, we worship and praise can do anything. There's nothing that is too hard for God. Where we normally stumble is, will God do it for me? And this is where this leper was. He comes to Jesus and he says, if you are willing, I know that you can make me well. His faith in Jesus to do the task was there. It was present. What was absent? Whether he would. Whether he would do it for me. Whether he would love or have compassion on me and do it for me. Would he take that great, wonderful power that he has and use it for my cause? Our understanding of God, God's heart towards us either gives life to our faith or it undermines it. Amen. You, be, you see, a revelation of God's love for us empowers us. It empowers us to believe Him. It empowers us to come boldly before His throne of grace. The Bible tells us that we are to come boldly in the book of Hebrews to His throne of grace. Not cowering, not weak and feeble, Turn there in your Bibles. I want to show you something here. Hebrews, I think it's chapter 5, if I'm not mistaken. Let's see. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 15, says this, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. You know, sometimes we don't want to come to God. Our relationship with God is at jeopardy. Our intimacy with Him is at stake because we feel guilty or unworthy to come into His presence. And Jesus says here, in the Word, or the Bible says, that Jesus sympathized. He can understand our weaknesses and what we go through, for He was in all points tempted, just as we are, yet without sin. And it says this, Let us therefore, therefore means because of this, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. Let me ask you this, who needs grace? Somebody needs grace when they need help to do something that they cannot do them, themselves. Who needs mercy? Someone who's done everything right or someone who's done things wrong? Someone who's ticking all the boxes and living the perfect Christian life doesn't need mercy. But somebody who's faltering in his efforts, somebody who's trying but falling flat, somebody who's feeling unworthy and down about themselves, that is the kind of person Jesus is talking to. And he says, you, that one, I want you to come boldly into my presence, knowing that I have tender mercies to give to you and that my grace is available to help you out of that place and to help you accomplish that which you cannot do yourself. What is that? The life and likeness of Jesus Christ. It is a beautiful invitation 
that woos us and draws us in, no matter where our state of heart is, no matter how we're feeling about ourselves, the arms of God are always open wide to us. There is nothing that God is going to look at in you and going to go, oh, no, sort that out and then you come back to me. Never. Because there's no way that we can sort it out. We are helpless to do that. That is why Jesus came. Romans chapter 8 says these things about love and about God's heart toward us. From verse 31, it says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? I'm reading from the New Living Translation. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Folks, I want to tell you today, don't ever doubt this again. If you are a child of God, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, God is for you. God is on your side. God longs to see you prosper and blessed. God wants to see you overcome. God longs for intimacy and fellowship with you. God longs to see every promise that he has made to you come to fulfillment in your life. If God is for you, who can be against you? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Won't he also give us all things, the New King James says? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. What does that mean? Let's pause there for a moment. That is the condition of righteousness. When I am in right, when I, if, if my father was to loan me money and I had to pay him back, when my debt is finally paid, I am in right standing now. I owe him nothing anymore. And that is what Jesus did for us. He brought us into a place of right standing with God where we now owe him nothing. All right, where am I? There we are. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? What an incredible question. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that's a mouthful, that's a long portion of scripture that we've just read, but it just reiterates the same point again and again and again. There is nothing that can separate us from the affection and the love of God, except that which we allow and we pursue. Amen? You see, God's heart is always open towards us. That is unconditional. Whether or not we receive that love, 
Whether or not we position ourselves in that place determines whether or not our faith will produce fruit and be vital and alive and living and effectual in our lives. Let me read you a couple of scriptures. I'm going to rattle them off, so don't bother turning there. But these just re-articulate again of just how precious each one of us is to Christ, is to God. Jeremiah 31 verse 3, the Lord says, the, the word says, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Isn't that beautiful? Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, unworthy, Christ died for us. We all know this one. You can quote it with me. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that but that the world through him might be saved. 1 John 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. Isn't that incredible? You see, the wonderful thing about the love of God for you and I is it's not just an emotion. It's not just a feeling that God has. God just doesn't, doesn't just look down at us and go, ah. So often we think that's what love is. No, God did something about it. Because love is an action. Love looks like something. And in the case of the scripture we're talking about, God so loved us that he gave his only son. God is pursuing you. God is pursuing your heart 24-7. Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke? And we're going to go to Luke chapter 15. And we're actually going to work our way through through most of this, through, through a good portion of this chapter today, because there's some things and some contextual things I want to put in place, and I want to talk to you about this a little bit today. Luke chapter 15, we're going to start from verse 1. Remember the context I'm building here, and we're going to extrapolate this. I just want to keep the, the context so you're all with me, you're all following along with me. We're talking about the passion of God's love for you and I that unlocks faith in our heart towards Him. So if we start Luke chapter 15 from verse 1, it says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Him to hear Him. So the very message we just read about and preached that Jesus came for all, for the sinners. He was drawing the sinners. The tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes, all society's riffraff, all those who were frowned upon and considered unclean or dirty. You don't want to fellowship with them. Jesus drew them. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. He breaks bread with them. He has fellowship with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one lost that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Jesus carried on with another parable. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And not only that, when she has found it, 
She calls all her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which was lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What we see here is we see that the love of God is something that pursues, even when we're feeling lost, even when we're feeling out of place. God's love is pursuing our heart. He is pursuing our devotion. He is pursuing our affection all the time. God places incredibly high value on us. We are the object of His affection. Have you ever thought of that? You are the object of God's affection, of His love. And He is relentless in His pursuit. And it is into this context that Jesus begins to tell the parable of the prodigal son. It's very interesting when you begin to put this into context. And here Jesus begins the parable, and we're going to work our way through this parable this morning. Then he said, verse 11, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the young son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions on prodigal living. We see such a regretful story here. It's just all gone, inheritance squandered. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him to his fields to feed swine. Then he went, oh, sorry, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Now let's just pause here for a moment. This is the son sitting in a pigsty, feeling really sorry for himself. But I want you to listen to the words and the articulation of his heart, because they reveal the state of his heart. Father... I have sinned against heaven and before you. So there's an acknowledgement of guilt here. There is genuine repentance. There's a change of heart. The Bible said he came to himself. What does that mean? That means that before he came to himself, he was beside himself. He was outside of himself. He was not behaving like who he truly was, an heir, a prince in his father's home. And very often, you and I don't behave as who we truly are. We are hypocrites, not because we do not do that which we profess to do. In other words, we are hypocrites not because we do bad things and then say we're Christians. We are hypocrites because we live so far below of the truth of who we are that we undermine that truth very often. We deny what Jesus Christ has done. And so here we see a son coming to himself in genuine repentance, in other words, a genuine turning back to the ways of his father. And then he says this, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Any of you ever felt that way? I am no longer worthy. You know, folks, the wonderful thing about Jesus is that you and I were never worthy. <laughs> Hallelujah. I was never worthy to be God's son. You were never worthy to be God's son or daughter. 
Nothing we could ever have done made us worthy. Only Jesus. Hallelujah for Jesus. So the son says, I am not worthy. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so then what he did is he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still away off, so now you've got to understand, the son's frame of mind is, I'm coming home to an angry man. I am going to be groveling, I'm going to be repenting before him and asking him, begging him to have mercy on me that I do not deserve and just to make me like one of his servants. That is the son's expectation. How often, after something has happened in our lives, do we come to God with groveling, hoping that he'll just have some mercy on us? But that's not what happened. Because we see here, while he was still away off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran towards him. He pursued the son. He went after him. He couldn't wait for the son to get there. He wasn't standing there tapping his foot going, you know, I've been waiting for you to come. I was wondering when you'd come. No, none of that mattered. All that was lost didn't matter anymore. The father ran towards the son. The Bible says, fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But, say but. But is a wonderful thing because it completely changes the direction and the course of the story. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe. Not just a robe, not a fancy robe. The finest robe. The best one. And put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. What does a ring symbolize? Authority. Authority. Belonging. Son, you're back in father's business. You have been welcomed in as though nothing else had happened. Give him the finest robe. Put the family crest back on his hand. On his finger. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us be merry. For this son of mine was lost. He was going his own way. He did what was right in his own sight. I'm paraphrasing here, but you can relate to the story so much better. He went his own way. He followed the world's way. He did what was right in his own sight. But he came to himself. He was dead to me, but he is alive again alive to my desire, alive to my love, alive to my affection. He was lost, but now he's found, and we are going to celebrate, and we're going to be merry. That is God's heart and his attitude every single time we draw near to him. I don't know if there was special feed or a special place, but that fatted calf really intrigues me. It's not just a normal calf. Not the big calf. He's the fatted one. Go into the field and find a fat one. Bring that one. Because we're really going to celebrate. This is not just a normal meal. No, no, no. The fatted calf. And so we see a son who felt completely unworthy. And let's be honest, folks. Was unworthy. Okay? Was his estimation of himself true? Yes. But now let me ask you this. Or let me not even ask you. I'm just going to tell you. Because of Jesus, before Jesus, you and I are unworthy. But yet Jesus, because of Jesus, we have been brought into a place of righteousness, right standing, where I owe God nothing and He owes me nothing. 
where we are worthy to receive the love, the mercy, the grace, the forgiveness, and the inheritance that Jesus came to pay for us. We are worthy. We have been made sons. We've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness, out of the pig pen, into the kingdom of the son of his love. But you know what? The story doesn't end there. You see, because of the father's love and despite the son's unworthiness, the father lavished him with extravagant love. Would you agree with me? The best robe, the ring, the fatted calf. Let's throw everything at this. Extravagant expressions of love and mercy and forgiveness. And so the older brother comes back from the field and he's hearing singing and merriment. You know, you can imagine in, just in modern terms, when a party is going on these days, you hear it quite a way off. You know, you're coming, walking along. What's going on at dad's house? And so, son gets there and he finds there's a party going on. And who's the main guest? Who's the one everyone's so happy to see? His brother who's gone and swandered his inheritance. His brother who's gone and thrown it all away. So let's read what the older brother does. Now his oldest son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. See? So he called one of his servants and asked what, thing, what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. There we have him again. This was clearly a big deal. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. <laughs> I just want to highlight that again. We have one son who comes back repenting and father runs out to meet him. We have another son who's being obstinate and stubborn and he's angry. And what does the father do? He just runs out to him again. Folks, there is not a state in your life, there is not a condition of your heart where God is not actively pursuing you. Never forget that. There is not a time or a moment where God is not wanting to see his promises over your life fulfilled, bring you into liberty and freedom, and to see his love and blessing flow and grace work in your life. So the father comes out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years, it must have been his father's name, Lo, these many years I have been serving with you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. What is he doing here? He's comparing himself to his brother. Life's not fair. You're not treating us fairly. But as soon as the son of yours came, who's devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. In other words, all along, the fatted calf was available to you if you wanted it. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and now he's found. What the father is saying to the son is this. You were clearly living so far below everything that was available to you because for some reason you didn't discern my heart correctly. For some reason you thought some things were off limits to you in our home. How many of us live our kingdom life that way, live out our Christianity, live out our relationship with God like that, for some reason thinking 
that, you know, that anointing or that blessing or that provision or that thing is for them. And I compare myself with them. And in fact, when I start doing that, I actually start getting a little angry and irate with God because why is he blessing them and not me? I'm doing all the right things. I'm tithing. I'm giving my offerings. I'm in church every Sunday. I'm going to the home groups. I'm doing outreach ministry. And yet they're being blessed. What about these others? They're not even believers. And look how they're being blessed, God. What about me? What about me? What about me? Fail to discern the heart of God. Fail to realize that everything that is available to them is available to you. You see, your experience of life and and, and the love of God and the grace of God in your life is determined by one thing, your level of faith. But your level of faith is going to be determined by the way you see God's heart towards you. God, I know you can't because I can see you doing it for so-and-so, but I'm not sure whether you'll do it for me. I don't know that you love me that way. I don't know for sure that you want to see me blessed that way. Maybe there's some kind of lesson you're trying to teach me in all of this. What was the downfall of the older brother? He misinterpreted his father's heart. And because of that, he could not partake of everything that was available to him. Folks, never let it be that we misinterpret the heart of the father and feel that somehow we need to earn and and do and strive in order to earn his love, his grace, and his blessings. They belong to us freely. Not because you did or didn't do anything, but because of Jesus. How is that fair? It isn't. Hallelujah. That's the point. Often we feel we don't get what we deserve, to which I say, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because if I got what I deserved, I'd be in big trouble. Amen? But God's grace and His mercy goes above and beyond what we can even ask or think or imagine. And it is that realization, it is that revelation that God is pursuing my heart all the time and that there is nothing I'm going through that is not there with me in it waiting for me to call on Him to help Him for His grace to to meet that need. There is no need that I have that He can't meet. And His desire is just pursuing me, my heart, wanting to show me His love. Pastor Ken Turner often makes the statement, God demonstrates His power to us through the big things, the miracles, the wonders, the signs. But he demonstrates his love to us through the little things. Those mercies that are new every morning. That phone call from someone that just lifts and encourages you just when you needed it. That provision that came through just as it... The little things. How God's love just pours itself open and over us. I want to pray a prayer over you this morning. because I feel led to do so. I want to pray that in the same way that prodigal son turned his heart to the father and came back to his father, repented, stopped pursuing his own ways, but really turned his affection and his attention and his expectation towards his father. The father lavished upon him extravagant love that gave him a complete revelation of his father's true heart. So much so that even his brother was jealous. I want to pray for you this morning that in the weeks that lie ahead, 
God will show to you the extravagance and the magnificence of His love in a very real and a very practical way to the extent that your faith in Him will be supercharged. That your expectation from Him will be invigorated, energized, afresh. That you would dare to believe God that things you never, for things you never would have dared to believe Him for before because you just weren't quite sure whether or not He would do it for you. That God would affirm His love for you, not just up here, but so deep in here that it would change you forever. The Apostle Paul says this, and I want you to stand with me, and I'm going to start here and then go on to my, my prayer. And then we're going to play another song. I want to play a song to you just to minister to you this morning. Come to me. Okay? So, Father, I want to thank you. Let's just bow our heads and turn our hearts to the Lord. God, thank you that we can come to your throne this morning boldly for grace and for mercy, not because of what we have done or not done, but because of Jesus. Jesus, we want to thank you for your sacrifice, for your blood that was shed for the remission of our sins, for your body that was broken and beaten, that you purchased our peace, our deliverance, our freedom, and our healing. And Jesus, I want to thank you that your love abounds towards us every single day. Thank you, God, that we can be found in the center of your love. Thank you that you are reminding us this morning that we are the objects of your affection. I want to thank you, God, this morning for the revelation and the realization that you actively pursue us every single day. And I want to pray the same prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed over the church in Ephesus this morning. I pray this morning that God would grant you according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in your inner man. That Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Father, I extend my faith this morning, Lord, and I believe and ask of you today that you would reveal your love in an extravagant way to each and every one of us in the coming weeks. That you would blow our minds with how much you love us. That you would afresh our understanding, Jesus, of, of the incomprehensible love of God that extends towards every single one of us. Whether it be through a word, through a deed, through a need met, through a miracle, God, that your love that pursues us would find extravagant manifestation. Extravagant manifestation. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources and more information about this ministry, come and visit us at www.alphaomegaint.org.za.